Well, hey, family, this is Pastor Leonce here, if you don't know me. And I just wanted to take one brief moment to encourage you. I have been so grateful to watch all of the wonderful things that God has done in and through Rooted Fellowship. Uh, your love, your kindness, your generosity, the way that the transcultural gospel is multiplying there in that community. And guess what? That's not going to change. Uh, though this may be unprecedented circumstances for us in our generation, they are not unprecedented circumstances for our God. He has led his people through difficulty in generations past, and guess what? He'll lead you through this one as well. He'll lead renovation through this one as well. There is an other side to this. And that's what I wanna encourage you today, that there's another side to this. And if we are faithful, if we are diligent, if we do not allow fear to grip our hearts and cripple our minds, and we trust that God is good, does good, wants good, and will pursue good in and through us, even as we navigate a global pandemic, that there will be incredible fruit on the other side of this situation. God is with you. God is for you. God loves you. I love you. And I can't wait to see you face to face. Have an incredible Sunday morning together. As we draw close to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we also today wrap up our sermon series that we've titled, We Are. We've been looking at our humanity and how the gospel navigates through our many imperfections, our brokenness, and our various challenges. In week one, we looked at the fact that we are dying yet alive. Uh, week two was we are lamenting and worshiping. Week three was we are confused but led by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we looked at the fact that we are afraid, but encouraged to trust God. And so we wrap it up today by unpacking the fact that we are human and God's masterpiece. And I couldn't find a more fitting portion of scripture than Ephesians chapter two. In fact, it's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And so he spends the first chapter unpacking the many spiritual blessings that they have found in Christ. He then jumps over to chapter two, where he kind of reminds them of where they come from. And he does this only to highlight the beauty and the magnitude of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And so if you have a Bible, meet me in Ephesians chapter two. We'll be in the first 10 verses. But before we navigate through these verses, uh, permit me to pray for our time. Father, thank you so much for your word. We're thankful that it is alive and active and continues to transform the individual lives of people. And so would you do a work that only you can do in this very moment? Would you tune our ears to you so that we might hear you ever so clearly? Would you turn our hearts to you, Lord, so that we might see you for who you are. Holy Spirit, would you lead this time? We love you. We praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 1, Paul writes, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Paul? 
Verse 2, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. What Paul does right out the gates is he levels the playing field. He says that all of us, each and every one of us, before coming to Christ, we were disobedient to God. We wanted to do our own thing, and that did not please God. And so because of that, we were subject to God's anger. Verse 4, but God, oh, but God, two of my favorite words in the Bible, but God. And many of us have a but God moment in our lives. I was in darkness, but God. I was living in disobedience, but God. I was living in pride and selfishness, but God. I did not understand love and mercy and grace, but God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I love that. I love these verses. What Paul is saying to us is that before Jesus, we, we lived in darkness, we lived in disobedience, but then God steps in and sends his son by the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that you and I could not live and die the death that you and I deserve. So that for all who look to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're reconciled to the Father and have eternal life and enjoy everlasting joy. This is the beauty of the gospel. So much goodness here. We could spend so much time unpacking these verses. But our focus today is verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, I want to draw your attention to this verse, which I believe has two parts. The first part is God's work in you. The second part is God's work through you. The first part is we are God's masterpiece. That's what he does in you. We are his masterpiece, God's work in us. It means literally we are his work of art. Other translations uh, say it like this. The Christian Standard Bible says, for we are his workmanship. The NIV says, for we are God's handiwork. See, the Greek work, word here is poema, right? Poema. 
Uh, now, if you're going, that sounds familiar, you're heading in the right direction. Poema is where we get the word poem. A beautiful masterpiece where somebody expresses him or herself in a literally story-like poem. We are his masterpiece. We are God's work of art. We are his poetry in motion. The ultimate workmanship of God is a human being who, despite being dead in his transgressions and many sins, has been made alive in Christ. We say this because he or she is the subject, hear me, of two creations. Number one is his or her very existence that is due because of the work of Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible with the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Our very existence is because of Christ. That Christ has created us, but not only that, he also sustains us. The fact that your very heart beats this very moment is because Christ sustains it. And so our very existence is due to the work of Christ. But, but number two, our masterpiece, the fact that we are his masterpiece, is because we have undergone a second creation. See, Jesus is the executor of our salvation. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And so this new creation is far greater than the creation of the Drakensberg Mountain or the Okavango Delta. It is far grander than the stars in the galaxy or the depths of the ocean. Why? Because it costs the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit everything. And because it involved the beyond compare power of the resurrection. See, in Christ, we are of indescribable worth. This great truth to many, even me, can often be too hard to believe because we have seen over the last few weeks that we exist in this frail human body that lives in a broken and imperfect world. Some of us have done or have had things done to us that make us doubt our worth. You might feel like you're a piece of canvas that has some initial brush strokes on them, but then has been put away in the corner, unfinished, and our God has gone off to do something else. If that's you, then you are not alone in this feeling. This just makes you human. This just makes you aware of your failures, aware of your limitations. It makes you aware of your imperfections. It's important to know that you are still his masterpiece. You are still his work of art. You just need to recognize that you are still in process. You see, one of the most frustrating things is that we come to Christ and then we think, hey, my life is going to completely change. I'm going to be perfect. And while your life is going to change, 
you're on a journey towards perfection that is found in Christ. That you are still in process. That in fact, you should see yourself walking around with this big sign on you that says, under construction. And God is committed to completing what he has started. See, we can believe the words found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Michelangelo, the, the great artist, was once asked what he was doing as he was chipping away at a shapeless rock. He replied, I'm liberating an angel from the stone. See, that's what God is doing with us. We are in the hands of a great maker, the ultimate sculptor who created the, the universe out of nothing. And he has never thrown away a rock that he has started working on. Now, you can believe that. Never, never has he thrown away anything that he has started working on. And his tools are Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Sanctifier. He uses his word, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. He uses his people who come around you and love you and serve you and pray for you and guide you. He does all of this in order to build you and mold you and make you what you were called to be. That's what God is doing in your life. And if you don't know him personally, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then I want you to know that that's what God wants to do in your life. I sometimes often wonder, in our sharing of the gospel, do we only tell people that, hey, come to Christ so that you can get your ticket to heaven and you'll be good, escaping the flames of hell? Is that all that we present to people? Or do we say to them, listen, come to Christ and he will make you into this new creation that he will be molding you and shaping you. He'll be working on your character. You got, you got some issues with your anger? God wants to work through those. You struggle with patience like, like me? God is working through those. You have some control issues? God is working through those to make you a better version of yourself in Christ, that is the gospel, and he will complete what he has started. But you see, if we keep looking at the rest of verse 10, we will discover that this work that he does in you has a reason. It's done for a reason. And this brings us to our second part in verse 10. That is, you were created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared or planned beforehand so that you might walk in them. So that you might walk in them. And so, so he's not just making you into this new, incredible masterpiece. He's not just sculpting you so that you can be this amazing person who puts on display the kingdom of God. But he wants you to walk in what he has created you to be. And that is God's work through you. 
We are created anew in Christ Jesus for good things, for, for good works which God planned for us long ago so that we can do them. You, you know what a, a bad tool is or a bad instrument is? Is one that just sits there and does nothing. No matter how shiny it looks, no matter how many edges and, and, and different things that it can do, if it just sits there, it's not worth anything but it becomes a necessary and vital tool when it is applied to something. An instrument is incredible when someone plays it and we can hear its different notes. Each of us has an eternally designed job description which includes the task, the ability, and the place where we are to serve. You might look in the mirror and say, why me? Or how could God use me? I feel so weak, so inadequate, so imperfect. If that's you, then I want you to know that you are the perfect candidate for God to do something incredible through. See, God has chosen the weak, the inadequate, the imperfect things of this world to be on mission with him. If you pick up the Bible and, and just read it, you, you will see over and over and over again, God's instruments are severely flawed because he has chosen to use humans to do his will. And let me let you in on the secret. That's his plan A. That's his plan A. That, that has always been his plan, that us in Jesus might put on display his multifaceted wisdom to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. I love that word, multifaceted. And if I may, for a moment, just affirm yet again the transcultural church that if we are to put on the multifaceted wisdom of God on display, it's going to require more than one ethnicity or one culture or one socioeconomic class or one subculture. It's going to require the beautiful diversity, the tapestry of God coming together, putting on display the multifaceted wisdom of God. That is his plan. And because God does glorious work through imperfect instruments, he gets the glory, not us. He gets the glory. In the same way that he gets the glory for our salvation, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do this work by ourselves. Let me give you an example. If a surgeon can operate in the bush, with a Swiss Army pocket knife, then that's a pretty impressive surgeon. I mean, if a, if a builder can build a house uh, with an old rusty hammer and, and some uh, bent nails and build that house under budget, if any of you are in construction or have had construction done to your house, you would know under budget, now that's a miracle. But if a builder can do that with a rusty hammer, then he is an amazing builder. 
If someone can cook a five-star meal with only vegetables, no meat, and yet the, the meal comes out as if he has sprinkled bacon all over it, not only should that person start a restaurant immediately, but we would say that that is a impressive chef. That is a phenomenal chef. And so if God can change the world through dead people, then awakened and restored, who are under construction until Jesus' return, then that's a great God. And friends, that is what he does. You have been saved for good works, not by good works. Don't get me wrong, not by good works. You have been saved for good works. Uh, maybe another way to say it is that you have been saved from sin and saved for service. Saved from sin and saved for service. That God always calls us and then sends us. He always, he always calls us and then sends us. He calls us to himself and then sends us into the world. So what, man? What, what does any of this mean? And how does this impact my life? I'm glad you asked. What is the point of all this? Well, we should know that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And as such, we have been given good works to do, which he appointed before our existence. I mean, that blows my mind. And when we do them, he gives us the necessary power and awe-inspiring sense of the Holy Spirit who drives us. There is nothing more beautiful than watching the masterpiece of God in unison, working for him and for his glory. There is, there is nothing more beautiful than witnessing that and being a part of it. And so my question to you today is, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Uh, when, when is the best time to change the world? You see, see, as we are sent out as the church, as God's masterpiece, on mission with him, it's so that we might see a world blown away by the wonder of God. We want to see the world changed for Christ. You walk into any church and you'll see that on their walls. It'll be part of their mission statement that they want to see the world changed for Christ. And so when is the best time to do this? I believe right now. Right now. Now more than ever. Two reasons. Because we have now. We have now. There is no promise of next month or next week. But what we do have is right now. And the second reason is because now feels chaotic. It feels a little out of control. It feels beyond the capabilities of humanity. And, and those are the best ingredients for God. If that's what you're feeling right now, instead of shying away, we should be stepping out because those are the best ingredients for God to do something more powerful than we could ever imagine. These are some unusual times. 
These really are some unusual times that we're living in, but they are not unprecedented. Humanity throughout history has been here before, maybe not as sudden or maybe not as widespread, but maybe for them at that time, it was just as intense. But I want you to know this, that, that God is not taken by surprise. He is not pacing back and forth wondering what is going on. God is at work and he will move profoundly and powerfully through those who remain faithful and fearless. Those who remain faithful and fearless, faithful, faithful, faithful in trusting God. Faithful in his word, faithful in loving those around you, faithful in seeking to bear the fruit of the spirit in your life, faithful with the basics. So often we, we go, man, I need to do these incredible things. No, 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 hold on. Just be faithful. Right now where you are, be faithful. Be faithful in loving those around you. Be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in your devotions as you come to the scriptures to seek more of him. Just be faithful. But not just that, we're called to be fearless. Fearless because we can approach the throne of grace in boldness. We're called to be fearless, to be confident, to be bold, to be courageous. And those who are faithful and fearless, I believe, are the ones who produce much fruit. See, we want to see fruit in our lives, but we lack the faithfulness. We want to see fruit in our lives, but we need to be courageous. We need to trust God for big things and to step out in faith in them. We need to recognize that we are his masterpiece, that God has done an incredible work in us to salvation. And that he is molding us and shaping us. And he has called us to do good works before we even existed. See, we may be knocked down, but we have not been knocked out. Our city, our nation, our continent, our world is waiting for the people of God to recognize who we are. Think about that for a moment. They are waiting for the church to be the church. They are waiting for, for many of us to, to step into what it is that God has called us to be. They're waiting for the good works of the people of God. We are God's masterpiece created in Jesus for good works. And so we pray, we meet, we help, we share, we serve so that we might see a world transformed by the power of the gospel. God chooses to use us. In Jesus, he chooses to use us. My prayer is that we would see a movement. We say this often at Rooted Fellowship, that we want to see a movement of transcultural churches anchored in the gospel spirit all across, not just the city, but this great nation. We want to see a movement. But, but here's the thing, pulpits, don't drive movements. They aid them. Gatherings don't drive movements. They, they aid them. 
great city groups don't drive movements, they, they aid them. You see, pulpits, gatherings, and great city groups, all these things are important and necessary. But movements, uh, to quote Pastor Leon's crumb, uh, movements are catalyzed, mobilized, and maintained by God's people, living as unique masterpieces thriving in their pre-created purposes, pushing into every part of our culture and creation. That is a movement. And that is what God has called us to be. To not live as individuals, but to be a community that has various gifts and callings, trusting God and being sent out into the world. And so that's going to mean that for, for some of us who are sitting on the sidelines going, you know what, I'm not quite ready yet, I'm not fit yet. Well, none of us are. But we're trusting in the one who is ready and who is fit. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he calls us to come onto the field and to play. That maybe for years you've been sitting on the stands Believing the lie that, that, that you are worthless, that you are some, some canvas in the corner that God has thrown away. Hear this today, that you are under construction and that God is at work in you and through you. And so he is calling you by name. What we saw last week, he is calling you by name, saying, come onto the field and let's play. We want to see a world awaken to the wonder of God. And God has chosen us to do so. He has chosen you as you are part of his people to do so, so that we might be a movement for his kingdom and his glory, even in a time like this. And so I get excited. I get excited when I think about all the innovative things that are going to come from the people of God. And those ideas are not an end in themselves, but they are there so that they might point to Christ, our Lord and Savior, that many people would come to faith. I get excited, and so should you. And so friends, let's be the church. Let's be who we have been called to be. Let history remember us as those who laid it all on the floor. We laid it all down. Why? For the furthering of God's kingdom and for his glory. Because we are his masterpiece, created for good works. In Christ, we get to be a part of this grand story. God is on mission, and by grace has called us to be a part of that. We are humans, and we are God's masterpiece. Let's pray. And so, Father... We ask that you would stir in us a passion for your name. Lord, I pray for, for those maybe who, who are sitting and wondering what, what role it is that they have to play in all of this. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal it to them, that you would make it plain to them what it is that you have called them to. Lord, I pray that you would surround them with other brothers and sisters who would help them and guide them to do so. Father, we want to be the church, the church that is on display 
for your glory and for the furthering of your kingdom. And so Lord, would you move us? Maybe for those who are sitting, for those who, who maybe feel that they're not ready, would you move us? Move us into those uncomfortable and difficult places, knowing that you are with us every step of the way. God, you are the one that is doing all the work. And so you ask that we would come before you and lay our hands open before you so that you might work in us and then through us. And so I pray not only for our church, but for the many churches that are scattered throughout our city and our nation, our continent and all across the world, that we would become the church, that we would share of the good news that Jesus, you died for us. And because of that, we're reconciled back to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Give us all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.